Chapter Eight of Darwin and Cuffy by R. M. Ballantyne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Esther Ben Simonides. Chapter Eight: Despair is followed by surprises and deliverance. At first, John Darwin could not quite realize his true position after leaving Rarotonga. The excitement consequent on the whole affair remained for some time on his mind, causing him to feel as if it were a dream, and it was not until he had fairly landed again on Big Chief's Island, and returned to his own little hut there, and had met with Cuffy, whose demonstrations of intense delight cannot by any possibility be described, that he came fully to understand the value of the opportunity which he had let slip through his fingers. Poor Jarwin! Words failed to convey a correct idea of the depth of his despair, for now he saw clearly, as he thought, that perpetual slavery was his doom. Under the influence of the feelings that overwhelmed him, he became savage. "'Cuff,' said he, on the afternoon of the day of his return, "'it's all up with you and me, old chap.' The tone in which this was uttered was so stern that the terrier drooped its ears, lowered its tail, and looked up with an expression that was equivalent to, "'Don't kick me! Please don't!' Jarwin smiled a grim yet a pitiful smile as he looked at the dog. Yes, it's all up with us, he continued. We shall live and die in slavery. What a fool I was not to cut and run when I had the chance. The remembrance of honor bright flashed upon him here, but he was still savage, and therefore doggedly shut his eyes to it. At this point a message was brought to him from Big Chief, requesting his attendance in the royal hut. Jarwin turned angrily on the messenger, and bid him be gone in a voice of thunder, at the same time intimating, by a motion of his foot, that if he did not obey smartly he would quicken his motions for him. The messenger vanished, and Jarwin sat down beside Cuffy, who looked excessively humble, and vented his feelings thus. "'I can't stand it no longer, Cuff. I won't stand it. I'm going to bust up, I am, so look out for squalls.' A feeling of uncertainty as to the best method of busting up induced him to clutch his hair with both hands and snort. It must not be supposed that our hero gave way to such rebellious feelings with impunity. On the contrary, his consciousness pricked him to such an extent that it felt like an internal pincushion or hedgehog. While he was still holding fast to his locks in meditative uncertainty, three natives appeared at the entrance of his hut, and announced that they had been sent by Big Chief to take him to the royal hut by force, in case he should refuse to go peaceably. Uttering a shout of defiance, the exasperated man sprang up and rushed at the natives, who, much too wise to await the onset, fled in three different directions. Instead of pursuing any of them, Jarwin went straight to the master's hut, where he found him seated on a couch of native cloth. Striding up to him, he clenched his fist, and holding it up in a threatening manner, exclaimed, <laughs> now look here big chief it would be big thief if i had your right name i ain't going to stand this sort of thing no longer i kept my word to you all the time we was in maratonga but i'll keep it no longer i'll do my best to cut the cable and make sail the very first chance i gets so i give you fair warning big chief made no reply for some moments but opened his eyes with such an intense expression of unaffected amazement that darwin's wrath abated in spite of his careful nursing of it to keep it warm jawin he exclaimed at length you christian british star have your devil got into you the question effectually routed Jarwin's anger. He knew that the savage to whom he had spoken at various times on the subject of satanic influence was perfectly sincere in his inquiry, as well as in his astonishment. Moreover, he himself felt surprised that Big Chief, who was noted for his readiness to resent insult, should have submitted to his angry tones and looks and threatening manner without the slightest evidence of indignation. The two men, therefore, stood looking at each other in silent surprise for a few moments. "'Big Chief,' Jarwin said at last, bringing his right fist down heavily into his left palm, by way of emphasis. There's no dibble, as you call him, got possession of me. My own spirit is dibble enough, I find, to account for all that I've said and done, and a great deal more. But it has been hard on me to see the door open, as it were, and not take advantage of it. However, it's all over now, and I ask your parting. 
I'll not mutiny again. You have been a kind fellow to me, old chap, though you are a savage, and I ain't ungrateful. As long as I'm your slave, I'll do my duty, honour bright. At the same time, I think it fair and above board to let you know that I'll make my escape from you when I get the chance. I'm bound for to serve you while I eat your whittles, but I am free to go if I can manage it. There, you may roast me alive and eat you if you like, but you can't say after this that I'm sailing under false colours. During this speech, a variety of expressions affected the countenance of Big Chief, but that of melancholy prevailed. Jawwan, he said slowly, I like you. You're a good-hearted old buffer, said Jarwin, grasping the chief's hand and squeezing it. To say the truth, I'm very fond of yourself, but it's natural that I should like my freedom better. Big Chief pondered this for some time and shook his head slowly, as if the, the results of his meditation was not satisfactory. Jawwin, he resumed after a pause, sing me a song. "'Well, you are a queer codger,' said Jarwin, laughing in spite of himself. "'If ever there was a man I didn't feel up to singing, that's me at this moment. However, I suppose it must be done. "'What'll you have? "'Ben Bolt, Black-Eyed Susan, the Jolly Young Watermelon, "'Jim Crow, There is a Happy Land, or the Old Hundred, eh? "'Only say the word and I'll turn on the steam.' Big Chief made no reply. As he appeared to be lost in meditation, Jarwin sat down, and in his species of desperation began to bellow with all the strength of his lungs one of those nautical ditties with which seamen are wont to enliven the movements of the windlass or the capstan. He changed the tune several times, and at length slid gradually into more gentle and melodious vein of song, while Big Chief listened with evident pleasure. Still there was perceptible to Jarwin a dash of sadness in his master's countenance that he had never seen before. Wondering at this, and changing the tunes to suit his own varying moods, he gradually came to plaintive songs, and then to psalms and hymns. At last Big Chief seemed satisfied, and bid his slave good night. "'He's a wonderful character,' remarked Jarwin to Cuffy, as he lay down to rest that night. "'A most unaccountable sound of a man. There's something working in his head, though what it may be is more nor I can tell. Perhaps he's going to spliffocate me in consequence of my impudence. If so, Cuff, whatever will become of you, my poor doggie?' Cuffy nestled very close to his master's side at this point, and whined in a pitiful tone, as if he really understood the purport of his remarks. In five minutes more he was giving vent to occasional mild little whines and half-barks, indicating that he was in the land of dreams, and Jarwin's nose was creating sounds which told that its owner had reached that blessed asylum of the weary, oblivion. Next day our sailor awakened to the consciousness of the fact that the sun was shining brightly, that parakeets were chattering gaily, that Cuffy was still sleeping soundly, that the subjects of Big Chief were making an unusual uproar outside. Starting up and pulling on a pair of remarkably ancient canvas trousers, which his master had graciously permitted him to retain and wear, Jarwin looked out at the door of his hut and became aware of the fact that the whole tribe was assembled in the spot where national palavers were wont to be held. The house appeared to be engaged at the time in the discussion of some exceedingly naughty question, a sort of national education bill or church endowment scheme, for there was great excitement, much gesticulation, and very loud talk accompanied with not a little angry demonstration on the part of the disputants. "'Hello! What's up?' inquired Jarman of a stout savage who stood at his door, armed with a club, on the head of which human teeth formed a conspicuous ornament. "'Balaver!' replied the savage. "'It's easy to see and hear that,' replied Jarman. "'But what is it all about?' The savage vouchsafed no farther reply, but continued to march up and down in front of the hut. Jarwin, therefore, assayed to quit his abode, but was stopped by the taciturn savage, who said that he must consider himself a prisoner until the palaver had come to an end. He was therefore fain to content himself with standing at his door and watching the gesticulations of the members of council. Big Chief was there, of course, and appeared to take a prominent part in the proceedings, but there were other chiefs of the tribe whose opinions had much weight, though they were inferior to him in position. At last they appeared to agree, and finally, with a shout, 
the whole band brushed off in the direction of the temple where their idols were kept. Darwin's guard had manifested intense excitement during the closing scene, and when this last act took place, he threw down his club, forsook his post, and followed his comrades. Of course Darwin availed himself of the opportunity and went to see what was being done. To his great surprise, he found that the temple was being dismantled, while the idols were carried down to the palaver ground, if we may so call it, and thrown into a heap there with marks of indignity and contempt. Knowing as he did the superstitious reverence with which the natives regarded their idols, Darwin beheld this state of things with intense amazement, and he looked on with increasing interest, hoping ere long to discover some clue to the mystery. But his hopes were disappointed, for Big Chief caught sight of him and sternly ordered him back to his cut, where another guard was placed over him. This guard was more strict than the previous one had been. He would not even allow his prisoner to look at what was taking place. Under the circumstances, therefore, there was nothing for it but to fall back on philosophic meditation and converse with Cuffy. These were rather poor resources, however, to a man who was surrounded by a tribe of excited savages. Despite his natural courage and coolness, Darwin felt, as he said himself, rather uncomfortable. Towards the afternoon, things became a little more quiet. Still no notice was taken of our hero, save that his meals were sent to him from the chief's hut. He wondered at this greatly, for nothing of the kind had ever befallen before, and he began to entertain vague suspicions that such treatment might possibly be the prelude to evil of some kind following him. He questioned his guard several times, but that functionary told him that Big Chief had bidden him refuse to hold converse with him on any subject whatever. Being, as the reader knows, a practical matter-of-fact sort of man, our hero at last resigned himself to his fate, whatever that might be, and beguiled the time by making many shrewd remarks and observations to Cuffy. When the afternoon meal was brought to him, he heaved a deep sigh, and apparently without effort, flung off all his anxieties. "'Come along, Cuff,' he said in a hearty voice, sitting down to dinner. "'Let's grub together and be thankful for small mercies anyhow. Whatever turns up, you and I shall go halves and stick by one another to the last. Not that I have any doubts of Big Chief, Cuffy. You mustn't suppose that. But then, you see, he ain't the only chief in the island, and if all the rest was to go again him, he couldn't do much to save us.' The dog, of course, replied in his usual facetious manner with eyes and tail and sat down with its ears cocked and its head turned expectantly on one side, while the sailor removed the palm-leaf covering of the basket which contained the provisions sent to him. "'What have we here, Cuffy?' he said, soliloquizing and looking earnestly in. "'Let me see. Bit of baked pig? Good. Cuff, good. That's the stuff to make us fat. What next? Roast fish. That's not bad, Cuff. Not bad, though hardly equal to the pig. Here we have a leaf full of plantains and another of yams. Excellent grub, that. My doggy, nothing could be better. What's this? Coconut full of its own milk the best to drink. It cheers, as the old song or the old poet says, but it don't inebriate. That was said in regard to tea, you know, but holds good in respect of coconut milk, and it's far better than grog. Cuffy, far better, though you can't know nothing about that, but you may take my word for it. Happy is the man as drinks nothing stronger than coconut milk or tea. Hello, what's this? Plums? My doggy, they're uncommon good to us today. I wonder what's up. I say. Jarwin pauses as he drew the last dish out of the prolific basket and looked earnestly at his dog while he lay it down. I say, what if they should have taken it into their heads to fatten us up before killing us? That's not a very agreeable notion, is it, eh? Apparently Cuffy was of the same opinion, for he did not wag even the point of his tail, and there was something dubious in the glance of his eye, as he waited for more. Well, well, it ain't no use surmising, observed the seaman with another sigh. What we've got for to do now is to eat our vittles and hope for the best. Here you are, Cuff. Catch. Throwing a lump of baked pig to his dog, the worthy man fell to with a keen appetite, and gave himself no further anxiety as to the probable or possible events of the future. Dinner concluded, he would fain have gone out for a ramble on the shore, as he had been wont to do in time past, but his jailer forbid him to quit the hut. He was therefore about to console himself with a siesta, when an unexpected order came from Big Chief, 
requiring his immediate attendance in the royal hut. Jarwin at once obeyed the mandate, and in a few minutes stood before his master, who was seated on a raised couch, enjoying a cup of coconut milk. "'I have sent for you,' began Big Chief with solemnity, "'to have a palaver. Sit down, you British tar.' "'All right, old chap,' replied Jarwin, seating himself on a stool opposite to his master. "'What is it to be about?' "'Joe Wynn,' rejoined Big Chief, with deepening gravity. "'You's been well treated here.' Big Chief spoke in broken English now, having picked it up with amazing facility from his white slave. "'Well, yes, I'm free to confess that I has been well treated, barring the fact that my liberty's been took away, besides which some of your old black rascals ain't quite so civil as they might be.' "'But on the whole, I've been well-treated. "'Anyhow, I never received nothing but kindness from you, old codger.' "'He extended his hand frankly, and Big Chief, "'who had been taught the meaning of our English method of salutation, "'grasped it warmly, and shook it with such vigour "'that he would certainly have discomposed Darwin "'had that British star been a less powerful man. "'He performed this ceremony with the utmost sadness, however, "'and continued to shake his head in such a melancholy way "'that his white slave began to feel quite anxious about him. "'Hello, old feller. You ain't been took bad, have you?' Big Chief made no reply, but continued to shake his head slowly. Then, as if a sudden idea had occurred to him, he rose, and, grasping Jarwin by his whiskers with both hands, rubbed noses with him, after which he resumed his seat on the couch. "'Just so,' observed our hero with a smile. "'You shake hands with me English fashion. I rub nose with you South Sea fashion. Give and take, all right, old codger. May our friendship last forever, as the old song puts it. What about this here palaver you spoke of? It weren't merely to rub our beaks together that you sent for me, I fancy.' It is a song you want, or him? Only say the word, and I'm your man. I suppose, said Big Chief, using, of course, Jarwin's sea phraseology, only still farther broken, you'd up anger and make sail most quick if you could, eh? Well, although I has a liking for you, old man, replied the sailor, I can't but feel a sort of preference, do you see, for my own wife and children. Therefore, I would cut my cable if I had the chance. Quite right, quite right, replied Big Chief with a deep sigh. You say it's unnatural. Good, good, so it is. Now, Jawin, continued the savage chief, with intense earnestness, he is free to go when you pleases. Oh, gammon, replied Jawin with an unbelieving grin. What is gammon? demanded Big Chief, with a somewhat disappointed look. Well, it don't matter what it means. It's nothing or nonsense, if you like. But what do you mean, old man? That's the rub, as Hamlet, or some such character, said to his father-in-law. You ain't in earnest, are you? Jowin, answered the chief with immovable gravity, I not understand you. What do you mean by earnest? He did not wait for a reply, however, but seizing Jarwin by the wrist and looking into his eyes with an expression of childlike earnestness that effectually solemnized his white slave, continued, Listen, understand me. I is a Christian. My brother chiefs and I have watched you many days. You have always do what is right, no matter what trouble follows to you. You do this for love of your God, your Savior, so you tells me. Good, I do not need much palaver. When the sun shines, it am hot. When not shines, am cold. What more? Cookie missionary have said the truth. My slave have proved the truth. I love you, Jowin. I love your God. I keep you if possible, but Christian must not have slave. Go, you is free. You don't mean that, old man, cried Jarwin, starting up with flashing eyes and seizing his master's hand. You is free repeated big chief we need not relate all that honest john jarwin did and said after that let it suffice to record his closing remarks that night to cuffy cuffy said patting the shaggy head of his humble friend many a strange thing crops up in this here curious world 
but it never did occur to my mind before that while a learned man like a missionary might state the truth the likes of me should have the chance and the power to prove it that's a very curious fact so you and i shall go to sleep on it my doggie good night End of chapter 8 Recording by Esther Ben Simonides